Hello again. This is Rabbi Jeff Sachs from Atid with another episode of our Jewish Educators Book Club. This time, we're doing something a little bit different. Until now, we've looked at a number of really very interesting books uh, that live on the rather particularistic modern Orthodox bookshelf. And today, we'll be looking at a book and talking with one of its uh, editor authors um, that is really dealing with larger educational issues, larger social issues that have unfolded and are unfolding here in Israel. The book is a Hebrew volume called Siach Milev HaMivucha, Kolot Vehedim Mimifkash Bein Tarbuti Bebet Sefer Shevach Mofet. The English title translates as Dialogue from the Heart of Confusion, Intercultural Encounter at the Shevach Mofet School, it's edited by Dr. Danny Marom, our guest today, and co-edited by uh, Mickey Miller, published by the Mandel Leadership Institute and by Keter Books. Uh, the book itself has a website from which you can uh, read excerpts and uh, read some of the interesting, uh, interesting press that it's garnered. That website is www.mli.org. Dot il backslash siach s i a c h Dr. Danny Marom, uh, my my dear friend, colleague, and uh, mentor, uh, one of the editors of of the book, is the director of the Visions of Jewish Education project at the Mandel Leadership Institute in Jerusalem. For the sake of full disclosure, I should mention that uh, that I enjoy a uh, a, a part-time position on that project, and I've been involved with, uh, with Danny and uh, some of the work of the Visions of Jewish Education uh, project uh, over the years, and perhaps he'll fill us in in a minute on, on that work. And he was involved in a project at a school in Tel Aviv. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, uh, that project and how it morphed into the book that we're discussing? I <coughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. And um, the project that I direct here at the Mandel Leadership Institute is in the business of generating new ideas for Israeli education and for Jewish education. New ideas, I don't mean newfangled tricks and uh, methods. I mean the big picture of what it's all about. Who is the educated Israeli? Who is the educated Jew? that serves as our model for what we want to educate for, that serves as our articulation of the purposes of what we're doing, that tells us what we're aiming for when we teach, um, uh, when we educate in formal and informal settings. And um, when I thought about Israeli education and I asked myself, well, what is the existing or reigning vision of the educated Israeli, I said one of the places where I might learn the answer to that question is in the way that new Israelis are inducted into Israeli society through education. Their cultural absorption, as it were, their klita chinuchit, could tell me something about how the Koltim, how the, those that absorb, how the Israeli society that takes in a new member presents its ideal, its ideal educational ideal to the new Israeli. 
And my assumption was that despite all kinds of changes in Israeli society, when an Israeli newcomer uh, uh, is there and the Israeli educational system takes him or her in, basically the model of the educated Israeli is still the Sabra. They say to the newcomer, put down all your bags, your cultural baggage, your historical memories, and just be like us. Be like us means be Israeli born. Uh, see the project of Israel, the here and now of Israel, as the be-all and end-all of what it means to be an Israeli. The uh, continuing uh, military sovereignty, economic sovereignty, um, all these uh, things are um, uh, the landscapes, um, uh, the uh, food, the slang, um, uh, that's what being an Israeli is about. So it'll take a, a, a generation or two till your children or your grandchildren are like us, but that's what we'd like you to be. That's what we are. That's what we educate our kids to be. And I'm being crude, of course, in my description of this uh, uh, portrait, but I think I am being accurate that it's still the underlying principle about who the educated Israeli is. The, I asked myself, do we have any exceptions um, uh, to this uh, portrait? Is there any place in Israeli society where the taking in of new Israelis is governed by an alternative principle than the principle of the Sabra? And I was um, taken with uh, the story of a school in South Tel Aviv called Shevach Mofet School. That's with a hyphen between the Shevach and Mofet School. And um, I'd learned that this was a school where all the learners, 1,500 kids approximately, are children of Russian-speaking Olim, or, or themselves were born in Russia or the former Soviet Union, or were born in Israel to Olim, and that 30 to 40 percent of the teaching force is also teachers of Russian-speaking um, uh, origins and background. And we should just say this is a this is a secular high school in in South Tel Aviv. It's not a. In fact, it was uh, the Shevach School. It's in South Tel Aviv in the industrial section that's become quite decrepit though it's now beginning to be rebuilt at the bottom of Rehov Mazger near the central bus station. And it the was... Old, the old central bus station. The old central bus station, and, it, and the new one. Uh, uh, it, and it was a technical school that it, they were going to close it down. And in the l l late afternoon, they rented out the downstairs to a group of Russian olim who had a program that they called Mofet. It was a volunteer program run by educators, Russian-speaking educators, for any kids that wanted to come. And its agenda was learning. Physics, math, literature, Russian, whatever. And it was just for the sake of learning, for learning more, for adding to what you had to learn anyways for the matriculations in Israel. And it was a big program. It was based on a model that they knew in Russia. And
And these people were very conscientious about education and about the cultural bags that they brought with them to Israel, physics, maths, humanities, languages. And at a certain point when they were going to close down the school, the initiator of this program went upstairs to the principal and said, hey, instead of closing down the school, maybe you might open it <laughs> up again using our students as your students, the regular students, not afternoon program. And the two put together became the Shevach Mofet school. And this and kind of this hybrid school, something very interesting happened on the staff. The the, the two cultures met. I That was my assumption, that um, this school might be a laboratory for an alternative vision of what it means to be Israeli based on what you call hybrid or I would call dialogue between different, um, uh, different elements. There's no way you can explain how that school worked unless there was some collaboration between the two populations running the school. One being those 30 to 40 percent of teachers who came from the Mofet background, who became the teachers in the high school, and those the other were the teachers of those were the Russian-born teachers, physics, physics and, math and literature, and, 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 all and the languages, things, all the things growing up in America. We were afraid they were going to bury us with. Right, and uh, and, and the other 60 percent who were the administration and the teachers, they obviously had to bang on a lot of tables at the municipality and in the Ministry of Education to justify having a special school for Russian-speaking educators and students. Now, there's no way to s explain that unless these Israeli-born veterans were ready to say, you know what, maybe we'll try a different approach of taking in the new uh, olim, that rather than tell them to forget everything they were, let's use their cultural baggage as another resource for being Israeli. They have to learn in Hebrew, they have to learn Tanakh, they have to learn um, Ezrachut, citizenship, they have to learn, but And the something. students were all taking Bagriot, they were all taking matriculations. Regular matriculations, but they were also learning Russian language under the rubric of a third language, and they learned Russian literature that way. And many of the teachers spoke to them in Russian, and in the classes, though they spoke in Hebrew, it was a broken Hebrew, and they'd, they'd mix it up with Russian. And it was also meant to be a place where the kids would have a kind of... Um, intermediary station before coming into Israeli society where they could learn about Israeli society where their cultural baggage could be respected and I said this place has the makings of a laboratory to enable the articulation of a new ideal of the Israeli which says that we are all Jews um, I'm not speaking yet about the non-Jewish Israelis but in the Jewish society we're all Jews who come from different places in the world. We all bring many experiences of building Jewish community and of interacting with non-Jewish community in those worlds. Let's pull in all our memories, our experiences, what we've learned, and let's be the sum total of all these experiences and memories and wisdoms that have been built over the centuries uh, let's bring them together to solve problems here so that we're not living only in the Israeli here and now where the Jewish people trying to take control of our lives by using the best 
of what we've learned from our experience over the generations that were the uh, the heights of Jewish civilization uh, working together if we can bring these energies together that involves a different way of bringing a new Israeli into the society but also it involves a different way of educating Israelis who are born here that was why I went to this school I thought maybe I could do something there that would help surface or articulate this alternative ideal one other thing I'll just say is that I had heard at the school first of all it became one of the best schools in Israel kids come to that school from all over the country they get up at five in the morning to get on a bus to make it for the first seven o'clock class they stay way past one o'clock or two o'clock or three o'clock whether for voluntary learning or for extra learning and um, I had heard about a little experiment that was done where they brought in couples of artists, one Russian-speaking, one Israeli-born, novelists, musicians, whatever, and they would talk to each other in front of the kids. And that way the kids would see how both sides have deeper cultural and artistic basis and they would have respect for each other. I thought, if this kind of thing is going on in the school, there's something to build on there. Uh, and interestingly, the, the experiment that, that evolved, that you got involved in, was to, in, in a sense, replicate those kinds of conversations, but within the staff, within the right. teaching staff, among the teaching staff, behind closed doors, largely behind closed doors, that the v veteran Israeli teachers and the Russian immigrant teachers who are working side by side are sitting drinking coffee together maybe in the teacher's room but aren't really communicating and and there's this divide between them. there's a cultural divide there's a, a divide of their biographies um, and and a divide in terms of w what they think the purposes of education are and where it ought to be going and how they conceive of their work together in the same school. And part of what you were involved in was to generate a dialogue between these two sides. And the book is an outgrowth of those dialogues, and actually much of the book are, are, uh, are transcripts of these conversations. And I guess that's the meaning of the title, Siach Milev HaMivucha, the conversation or the dialogue from the heart of of this confusion that that was there in the teachers' room, in the hallway, in the in the uh, in the classroom, and and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that experiment that you were there as a, a moderator of. Right. Well, you're right that um, having spent a, a half a day a week over a year observing the school and its practice, um, watching teachers teach, interviewing them. Um, I actually myself taught a chug, uh, a little uh, afternoon uh, study group in uh, religion and science to a group of grade eighters, uh, interviewing parents, shadowing principals. Um, uh, I, uh, uh, after I saw what I saw over that year, I came to the conclusion that yes, I had to, I had to suggest some kind of activity in the school that would let them experience a higher level of dialogue between the two cultures so that they would come and say no we won't bring outsiders just to have the dialogue for us but through our own dialogue as educators we will generate new pedagogies in the way we teach Tanakh in the way we teach Jewish history in the way we teach uh, um, uh, literature 
in anything. We will, from ourselves, from within the experience that we ourselves underwent, because no educator can devise new pedagogies in light of a different vision if they themselves don't go through the experience of being educated by that same vision of experiencing what it offers them. So I went to the principals of the school after that year and said, give me 12 educators from the school, half of them Russian-speaking Olim, physics, math teacher, it makes, makes no difference to me. What, as long as they care about being Israeli and they care about being Jewish. And give me six uh, teachers who are Israeli veteran-born, different backgrounds, Ashkenazim, Sephardim, some, little younger, some, some older. older, younger, males, females, Tanakh, is, is, is citizenship, uh, civics, Ezrachut, uh, whatever it is. And let me, once a week for a couple of hours, run an intercultural encounter between these people over the period of a year and then from that experience we will devise new pedagogies for the school and for the country in light of what we experienced and I was shocked because the principals of the school said yes go ahead and they arranged a group for me yeah. and what happened in those conversations well in the beginning I uh, thought that what we would do is we would learn about Russian Jewish identity and Israeli Jewish identity through studying poems and through letting the discourse happen around texts and different uh, research and we'd study it in a kind of uh, um, uh, vicarious way. But after the second meeting, some of the Israeli veteran teachers came and said, gave me an ultimatum. And they said something shocking. They said, we've worked maybe nine years alongside each other, these two different, you know, sources of people, you know, the Russian speaking and the Israeli veteran. We collaborate in our work. We work alongside each other. We see each other every day. But to tell you the truth, we, we don't even really know much about each other. We don't know the basic stories of each other. And we prefer, rather than learning about a topic in a kind of textual way or intellectual or academic way to just have a direct encounter tell me what was your kindergarten like and how do you remember your youth and what do you look at it today and how does it affect the way you think about the education of your own children and I'll tell you how I feel about the same thing or what was what is the Shoah in your is it central to your being Jewish and Israeli is, it, is the Shoah central to me what, what is the difference why physics and maths? Why, why do we need them? Why did you need them in, in Soviet Russia? They're useless here, aren't they? Well, you're not Jewish. You're, you're, you're uh, a quarter of a Jew. And how do I know, not only halachically, you don't have Chagim, you don't celebrate Jewish holidays. And then they would say, and tell me, you celebrate Jewish holidays? That's called a deep culture, the kind of things you do on your holidays where you just use it as leisure time. And these conversations were what they wanted and what they asked for. And they gave me an ultimatum. They said, either you play by these rules or we don't play. And they said, you run the conversation. Sure, in the midst of the conversation, you want to bring in information or text that you think will illuminate what we're doing. That's okay. But you've got to run the conversation that we have with each other directly. One of the interesting um, 
uh, devices, I guess, that you chose, it was obviously a deliberate choice, one of the interesting uh, pedagogical devices that you have in the book is that the chapters, each of the chapters uh, surveys uh, a set of conversations around the topic. The first one is this topic of uh, the child in Hebrew is Ech Korim Lagan Shelcha Lagan Sheli. How did you, what was your kindergarten like? What was my kindergarten? The second one is a very important chapter, I think, on the Shoah and the role of the Shoah in, 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 in cultural memory, in, in, as an educational motivator, as, a, as part of their personal narrative. And it means very different things for the veteran Israeli versus the, the person coming out of the former Soviet Union. Um, and uh, but the conversations each have a, an introduction written by one of the uh, by one of the editors, uh, kind of framing up the discussion. And then you have large extended quotes, almost I don't know whether they're verbatim or lightly edited uh, transcripts from the conversations. But the names are deleted. Right. We don't know who's speaking. And although actually it's, it's very nice that throughout the book there are a few photographs of the different uh, people that were involved. But at any given point, we don't know who's speaking. And on some some cases, we know well this is obviously a Russian woman, and the next speaker is obviously uh, an Israeli man. And sometimes you can't tell. And that I think is a very engaging hook to the reader because you become invested in these voices, uh, and you're trying to. Um, and I imagine this was a conscious move on on, on your part. Uh, you, the reader becomes invested in the voices in trying to do a, a deciphering of who, who are these people, right. and and one imagines that that's part of what the people sitting around the table were undergoing. Well, uh, this is um, uh, there was a big fight among the editors about this business of taking the names away uh-huh. from the voices uh, in the protocol. Um, what happened, we didn't think this would produce a book. That was never our intention. In fact, we spent time developing pedagogies for Tanakh, Jewish history, and Sifrut, and literature on the basis of our dialogue. I should say, by the way, that I took the group for a trip to Russia Uh, together. We'll talk about that maybe in a second, because that's really fascinating. Right, but the people themselves said, one second, if, if you want for Israeli education, to be able to work in a dialogical mode rather than shaping the Israeli as a sabra, uh, to making the Israeli be uh, a great manager of interactions between the different elements of Israeli society, then why don't you just simply reconstruct the protocol of our own conversation and let people uh, experience it, let them hear it, let them read it. It'll be a kind of tuning fork for them once they hear that sound. They'll want to do it too. And this was a great idea, and this is why we thought the best pedagogy would be to reconstruct the protocol, and that's what we did. Um, uh, we, had pro- we had verbatim of a, some of the sessions. I had notes on all of the sessions. We went back to some of the people to get what they said at the sessions, and we reconstructed virtually the whole protocol. But the decision to take away the, um, the, identifiers. the, the names of people came out of our analysis how could it be in Israeli society that, like it or not, we are, we are a conglomerate of different peoples, different religious backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, and yet we never talk to each other about that. About that, that we work alongside each other. We talk about the most mundane things, the lowest common denominator. And we're not afraid, we as Israelis, are not afraid about asking people 
very personal details about their life, right. about their political views, things you know, that in America would be taboo to discuss. It was wild. Uh, Jeffrey, one, one of the things we did was we got a group of students from the school to tell their stories um, about how they looked at Israel before being at the school, during the school, and then after the school. And they told unbelievable personal stories. It was a, 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 an event, a one-time event. And at five minutes to midnight, before they got back on the bus, after we said thank you and gave the gifts and we had our dinner and everything we heard, I said, one second, I have one more question. I said, tell me, you guys, you heard these stories tonight, unbelievable. Do you want to tell me that this was the first time you guys have been studying together for four or five years, this is the first time you heard each other's stories? Silence in a class. One person one of the students, she put up her hand and she said to me, because the answer was obviously no, where are you living, Marom? Where, uh, you think that in this society you just go up to a person and ask them what their philosophy of history is? That's what she said to me, you know, as if they'll tell you their whole story. And I said to her, dear, dear, uh, lovely student, uh, where are you living? <laughs> you know, the most unnatural thing to do in this society is not to ask that question, we're constantly bumping into each other. Why don't we ask each other, who are you, where are you from, what do you what take? What do you, where do you draw sources of... Uh, Tell me your uh, grandparents and your great-grandparents and what happens when you interact with Israelis who are different than you or if you have two parents of different backgrounds, how does that interaction happen inside of you? Mm -hmm. And so what bothers us from doing it is we stereotype people we are so practical people that it becomes practical to put people into compartments and to call them uh, to organize them according to categories oh he's a Russian ole oh he's an Amerikai he's a you know uh, 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 she's a Russia you know and it's true by the way when it, people come olim they don't call them new Israelis they call them on the origins uh, of the countries they came from so you categorize and it makes it easier. So the idea of this thing of taking away the names was that reading the book would actually become an exercise in listening to the other person. Not deciding what they're going to say in advance because they look a certain way or they or have a certain name. Or their name is Igor or their name is Batya. Or they speak in a certain accent. Mm -hmm. And even if it's for a few seconds that you have to hesitate before you categorize, that's a... If we can stretch it more and more, listen to the content of what the person's telling but you. But these conversations, which which went on weekly for a year, uh, for a year, right? Yeah. Uh, well, they must have been. There must have been some moments of real friction, of heat, of discomfort. Of uh, well, first of all, uh, there was. Um, uh, I have had a long career in education, from kindergarten to doctorate. And I must say, I never had discipline problems like I have had in this group. To get Jews to dialogue with each other, to listen to each other, and to hear each other, and to respond to what they hear, is very hard work. In this sense, we are not <laughs> yet a mature people after all these years. And it was very hard work. And there were two kinds of challenges. One was the kind of, you know, what I'm really prepared to say in front of the group. So next to the car, you know, 
one of the Israeli veteran teachers will say, oh, these Russians, they're taking over the country. I can't stand it. I went to visit my mother in the hospital yesterday, and the two nurses there were speaking Russian. Among them, who do they think they were? We made this country. They should speak Hebrew when I'm in the vicinity. How dare they? I said to her, say it at the table. She did finally say it at the table. You can imagine. And then, on the other hand, the Russians would come and say, Oh, God, Danny, these, uh, this, there's no culture in this country. They didn't want to learn poetry and text with you. They wanted direct conversation because they don't have a culture. And how can we talk as primitive people? <laughs> and say it at the table. <laughs> so the first kind of difficulty was saying things honestly at the table. But the second kind of difficulty was once they were said, how do you create a space where you're open to them. For instance, people spoke about different forms of parenting and grandparenting. Some people changed their parenting styles because of what they heard from the other. A lot's at stake in listening to other people. In the Holocaust chapter, I had the expectation of the greatest commonalities between people, and that turned out to be the most divisive and most difficult thing to hear. Because the Russian... Olim started saying, look, the Holocaust is the biggest tragedy for us and we lost, I lost 30 people in my family. What could be worse? But, but, alongside that memory, I remember that the Russian people saved all of humanity, saved Western culture. The Americans, they came up afterwards and just swept up 30, uh, 20 million Russians that they saved... And we want to remember the victory. And we want to celebrate the victory. And Jews, 500,000 of them, fought in the Red Army. And many of them won medals, despite anti-Semitism that didn't give them medals, way out of their proportion. We want to also remember good things about this. Both we want to remember. Well, you could imagine how that conversation went. Uh, one of the, perhaps the most interesting thing is that at a certain point, a little more than, I guess, midway through the year, you will take a trip to the former Soviet Union. Why do you say the, the most interesting thing? Uh, well, as somebody that uh, was, a, was an outside observer to the process that was unfolding, it seemed to me that that was, the, that, that was probably the, um, the moment that had the most potential to, to make a breakthrough in, in what was going on. And I, anyway, I was hoping you could tell us about that trip, how it, how it came about, right. and, and, and what happened what happened on the train between St. Petersburg and Moscow. And, uh, right. Well, the, um, the trip came about for two reasons. Number one, there was an Israeli veteran educator who, by the by, had told me in one, one of the, the members of the group. Yeah, yeah. Who had told me, but it, before she was in the group, when I was still at the interviewing stage, mentioned as an aside that last summer she paid out of her own pocket money to travel to Russia with her husband to see the world that her students come from so she could be a better teacher, so she could understand them. And I thought, here is the kind of Israeli, here is the kind of person that we should all take an example from. Out of her own pocket she's ready to pay. So we're going to take an example from her and all go to see it, right? And the second was that there was a person who ran this seminar with me whose name is Shimon Parishki. He was from Petersburg studying in Israel for two years on the Jerusalem Fellows Program for Educational Leadership in the Diaspora. And I was his tutor 
and we learned together Russian Jewish, edu- uh, Russian Jewish identity. He was a teacher of Hebrew, medieval uh, Hebrew poetry, so his Hebrew was at least as good as the veterans, but he was going back to be a Jewish educator in Russia, and he was a, a wild card for people in the group. They were enamored, they were enthralled by him. He broke all their stereotypes, and he's a genius and a very interesting person. And when he went back, they couldn't take it. And they said, we got to visit you. <laughs> so the second purpose of the trip was to visit Shimon, who showed us around Petersburg. Um, I should say that if we started the whole encounter with the trip, I don't think it would have made the breakthrough. The trip built on a year of conversations. Okay. But given the year of conversations, the trip accomplished in six days what it took us a whole year to accomplish until then. Why? What happened? Well, first of all, we changed the rules of the game, of the discourse. Now the control, people have feeling the control of the reality the they're in. Culturally at home. Uh, culturally and logistically at every level were the Russian olim and the people that were dependent on them in order to get around, whether it's through translation or whatever, was the Israeli veterans. But on the other hand, the Russian olim were looking at the place they came from from different eyes, from the uh, experience of talking to people that they're living with now in a shared Jewish environment. And that changed the way they saw where they came from. They had to look at it now in new eyes and change some of their romanticizations and look at it more critically in some ways and more romantically in other ways. And so that enabled people to see and to respect each other much more that they saw and uh, this world, that they re-explored it. It opened up things so that people aren't entrenched in their assumptions and in their memories. And they had many conversations on the trains and in the in-between. Um, they also continued to fight. There was one very special moment when we were at a Jewish cultural center in Petersburg where there arranged for us to hear a choir of young Russian Jewish kids singing in Yiddish. And uh, they sang a song called Amaisole. And one woman in the group was an Israeli veteran, a very hard, rigid sabra, who, when we talked about Jewish identity in the group, she said, I, I'm an Israeli. For me, being Jewish is everyday Jewish life. I don't need anything else. That's my Jewishness. That's my kids' Jewishness, and that's what you should be and what you're going to be and your kids are going to be. And Dafka, the Russian Olim, said to her, that's not a way to look at being, you know, you think that just being in a civil identity or or in a national identity is enough. Would French speak about their place that way? They have a whole religious side. They have a whole culture. How can you talk? And then they fought between each other. When we went to see this... uh, uh, cultural center and the choir started singing this woman all of a sudden broke down and started crying and after they finished and they left the choir the one of the Russian Olim asked this Israeli veteran teacher why are you crying and she said look I have no nostalgia about Yiddish my parents spoke Yiddish but they spoke in Hebrew to me I don't have any of that kind of nostalgia about it I don't have any need for Yiddish but for some reason, when I'm here in, <laughs> when I'm here in the in this place in 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 Petersburg, and I'm seeing these kids speaking Yiddish, you know what I feel? I'm so high. 
And then they said, you see, and they started shouting at each other to the point where our hosts just left the room because no one could get a word in edgewise. These are the kinds of things that happen. Um, I, look, the book is a, is a, it's a, a documentary. Uh, it documents this difficult uh, yet compelling process that a team of educators underwent over the course of a year. Um, and it's very particularistic in the sense that it's a story about a very, uh, about a, well, about a unique school. Uh, there's, there's probably no other school like this in, in, in Israel, and certainly not in the world. Um, but yet there are certain universal, at least universal questions, if not universal lessons, that come out of it. If one were to imagine what, in the minds of maybe some of our listeners, would be a much more conventional Jewish school. Imagine a North American Jewish day school, maybe a modern Orthodox day school, an elementary school, a high school, uh, where there's a staff of teachers. Some of them are, are Orthodox teachers of Chomish and Gemara or Navi or Halacha, Jewish history. Some might be uh, non-observant Jews who are teaching math or science or history. Some might be non-Jews altogether, the Spanish teacher, uh, the gym teacher, the physics teacher. And teaching is, uh, we often talk about uh, the great sociologist of uh, education, Dan Lorty, uh, you know, who in his book School Teacher uh, makes the point uh, that teaching is a very lonely profession. That we can talk about uh, professional culture and collegiality and what happens in the staff room. But the truth is, is that people can teach side by side, year after year. These people that you work with were teaching together, some of them up to 10 years. People can teach for 20 years, 30 years together, never have these conversations, and not just because of massive cultural divides. Can never have these kinds of um, getting to know the real person and what motivates them, and also having to do the work of letting someone else know you, understand your cultural identity, your professional identity, your professional goals and aspirations. And I'm wondering what we learn from the experience in this very, uh, in this, in, in the unique experiment of Shevach Mofet in South Tel Aviv that would serve any staff and any school and any set of, of teachers, or let's talk particularly Jewish teachers, because a lot of the issues that they're dealing with here about Jewish identity and the meaning and the message and the mode and the, the blessing and the challenge of the, the modern state, of the Shoah, uh, all of these questions are relevant to Jewish educators worldwide. Well, I want to say that while our uh, um, teacher, scholar, sociologist Dan Lorty is right to say that education happens in isolation, that teachers basically have kingdoms in their classrooms without anyone really knowing what they're doing. It's a very lonely place and we don't have a collegial or professional culture at that level. On the other hand, I want to put opposite that this wonderful quote that it takes a community to raise a child. We have reduced education to the transmission of knowledge and subject matter, and we can't hope to make a deeper impact on our learners um, beyond their instrumental use of 
knowledge of passing the exam or beyond just their cerebral understanding of things. If we ourselves don't teach from a place that we are a community to, and that's the first point, is that we have to work as educators to be representatives of a community, not as a community ideology, we have to be a living community in order that our learners will be able to join that community and be part of that community. In the case of Jewish day schools, uh, I want in America, I want to say that really one of the great resources that the Jewish people have is the Jewish people. But in order to make use of that resource, in order to be a living community, we have to follow um, uh, uh, the wonderful idea of Ahavat Yisrael. We have to, um, w there is no Klal Yisrael or Jewish people without Ahavat Yisrael, without the love of Israel. How do we cultivate the love of Israel? The only way we can do that is through open... You mean the love of the Jewish people? Yes, the love of the Jewish people, and I don't mean the concept of the Jewish people, I mean other Jewish people. People who are not necessarily like us. Um, people who are different. And the only way to uh, enact that value of Ahavat Yisrael is to have these kinds of encounters. Now it's very important. When people become walking embodiments of ideological positions, you can't have a real dialogue between people. A real dialogue between people is between people. Um, you mentioned the name of the book, Siach Milev HaMevucha. In his generation, the Rambam worked with the notion of the Navoch, right? Moren uh, Nevuchim. In our generation, we have a different kind of situation. We are all perplexed um, not only about the big issues of the universe, but about who we are and what our stories are and what keeps us together as a human being or as a people or as a community. We have to build a community out of sharing each other's issues and stories and confusions openly and being open to the possibility of learning from each other. So I think that in our schools we should arrange and enable the possibility for educators to experience themselves as part of a community by having such kinds of discourses. And I think that once they do, they become transformed and it will affect the school culture as a whole. I'll only give a small example from our group. The first day I walked in, it happened exactly what I thought would happen. On one side of the table sat the Russian Olim teachers and on the other side of the table sat the Israeli veterans. And I started and I said, I will not have this. From the first day, I said, you, one on one side, move there so that there's always uh, one sitting next to the other. And I had to force it upon them in the beginning. At the end of this whole process, the teachers themselves sat interspersed. And when they were in the teachers' rooms, in their teachers' meetings, they themselves started forcing it that people don't sit in two groups mm -hmm. and they came back to me smiling one time saying that they were invited to a wedding and they were seated in separate tables and they went to the person who invited them and said we want you to make the seating arrangement differently. Now that's just one small example when that it kind of emerged out of the experience that they had in a natural way. If we had these kind of encounters of Ahavat Yisrael in our schools, I believe that it would create an experience where our learners would feel that they want to join a community with Ahavat Yisrael. And 
they might not even know that such a conversation is happening, but it would exude out of such a conversation. Dr. Daniel Marom, the Mandel Leadership Thank Institute. you. Harav Sachs. The book is Siach Milev HaMibukha. The title would translate into English as a dialogue or conversation from the heart of confusion or the heart of perplexity, to use the Rambam's, uh, the, Rambam's uh, the term usually ascribed to the Rambam. Uh, to learn more about the book or to read excerpts or to read about the book or to purchase the book, you can visit www.mli.org.il backslash siach, S-I-A-C-H. We hope that you're enjoying your summer vacation. This will be our, our last episode before we return, uh, hopefully in September. Uh, and we wish you all enjoyable preparations for the new school year. And we hope to be conversing again.